All right. Well, welcome to our service this afternoon here at Keith Heights. And uh, good to have a few more folks here this afternoon. Miss Kim, do you want to introduce your visitor with us? Mandy Crane from, is Crane? Oh, what was it? Call? Oh, Hall, H-A-L-L. From Peavely, Missouri, she gets uh, an award for a long-distance travel today. I don't know, how far do you come, Miss Linda? You come pretty good ways? Further than Peavely? Okay. Long, long ways to come, so... Well, good to have everybody here this afternoon, and uh, certainly we've had a great time already this morning. And Miss um, Kim was telling us about uh, deciding whether to come for the 11 o'clock hour or the 1 o'clock hour. And um, I, I told her I was about all expended. So, <laughs> But um, uh, glad to have you all here and certainly enjoy it. Uh, it's difficult to preach to just a camera, so it's been good to have some folks here. And we thank the Lord for that. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this afternoon. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and as we've made it a practice here recently to uh, do the afternoon service as a, a very practical helps uh, type of a service and uh, trying to give some biblical things and a punch list of things um, that are of help to us. And uh, so, Lord willing, we're going to follow that again today. I want to encourage you, uh, Lord willing, here in a couple of weeks, um, we'll be starting a new series on, and I think I, I'm pretty sure we're going to do it at the 11 o'clock hour uh, on Sundays because it's a very, very important series. Um, on the uh, the uh, word of faith uh, movement and is it biblical or not? And want to want to look at things from a very scriptural perspective. Uh, learn what a, a biblical ministry is supposed to be. And we don't want to take man's opinion on something. We want to look at God's word and fit the mold of God's word. And uh, so want to encourage you to uh, be here for those services or tune in by way of live stream. And uh, hopefully that will be a help to you. Uh, before we get into our text this morning, let's bow our heads, or this afternoon, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. We'll ask for the Lord's blessing on the service. Father, we come to you. We're so thankful and we're grateful that you've given us the great liberty and the joy to meet together this morning and to have in our hands your word preserved, inspired, without error in our own language to read and hold, to be able to know your heart on issues. And, Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, look into its pages and to have the guidance of your Holy Spirit to direct us in truth, to help us to understand it, to know it. And then, Father, that we would take heed to it. I pray that you'll bless and use the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm so thankful this afternoon that uh, that we're saved. Uh, I was going through the Psalms uh, this week in our morning devotion time. And we went through uh, three Psalms that tie together, uh, which is Psalm 22, Psalm 22, uh, 23, and Psalm 24. And uh, in Psalm 23, everybody knows that passage because it's a very famous passage of Scripture uh, about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it talks about, uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And it's interesting that in the providence of God and in, in, um, His perfectness in, in putting his, his book together, His Word together, uh, he, he hymns this valley of the shadow of death on both sides, or, or borders on both sides, uh, with mountains. On the left side, on the Psalm 22, if you will, uh, you'll find um, uh, Mount Calvary. And in Psalm 24, you find the hill of the Lord, the Mount Zion. 
And uh, it's interesting to me as, as we see how that was all kind of put together, how that Psalm 22 gives us the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins and taking our place. And then in Psalm 24, he says, Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And we spoke about that in the 11 o'clock hour briefly about how none of us qualify. None of us uh, are going to meet that standard. And I'm thankful that God makes it possible for you and I to not come to God with our righteousness, but to come to God with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done on Calvary. And uh, boy, that brought a lot of joy to my heart this week to look at that and read about that and to see all that God had done with us, uh, done for us. And uh, that being said, uh, we live in what I, I believe are the very last moments of the last days. And I, I know a lot of people would say, well, Brother Greg, people have been saying that for thousands of years. Even the disciples uh, during earth got Christ's ministry uh, after he ascended to heaven, they thought they were in the last days. They thought that uh, Christ was going to come back during their lifetime. And uh, I understand that, and I, I agree. One thing I certainly believe that we can all agree on today, and that is that we are far closer to the coming of the Lord now than they were back in, in the time of Christ. And uh, when we look at uh, the current events, uh, several months ago, uh, it would have been uh, difficult for us to, to think of a way that the, the, the events of Revelation uh, could all come together at the same time. How was God going to do this? And uh, with just one little uh, uh, pandemic, God has brought about almost everything to prepare for what takes place in the book of Revelation. And we look at that and we say, if it's not this time around, it certainly cannot be very long. And I believe that we're in the last moments of the last days. And with that thought in mind, we're going to look at uh, a passage of Scripture this afternoon. Uh, what are we supposed to be doing as the last days approach? And, and by the way, I, I think this about the Christian life. We need, to, we need to plan and make plans for the future as though God is not coming back. But we need to live every moment of every day as if He can come back at any moment. And uh, we need to be co conscious of this and cognizant of the fact that the coming of the Lord is imminent. And those that are saved, those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and the Bible says this, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And uh, he says, Paul said this, that wherefore comfort one another with these words. Those that are not saved, those that have not trusted Christ as their Savior, those that have not put their faith in Him, will be left behind to go through what the Bible refers to as tribulation. And very sad commentary. God didn't come uh, for man to be able to be judged. God came and sent His Son so that man could be redeemed, so that man could be saved from their sin. We were already condemned. We had already made our choice. We'd already gone into sin, and uh, God loved us in spite of our sin and decided He was going to make a way of escape for us. Uh, a lot of people in the world look at that and they say, boy, when people talk about the end times or they talk about uh, people dying and going to hell, uh, boy, they paint a, a terrible picture of God. No, we paint a terrible picture of our sin because our sin is what's caused that. What God has done is made a way for us to escape that. What God has done is made a salvation for us that, that delivers us from the penalty of sin and death and hell and the grave and uh, the great love that our God had for us. And, and He didn't make it hard. Uh, I heard somebody say years ago, well, I don't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. And I agree with that statement. 
I think a loving God would do everything he could to keep man out of hell. Even if it meant sending his own son to the cross to pay the price for man. Which is exactly what he's done. He has made it possible. If a man goes to hell now, he does so trampling through the precious love and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his choice, not God's. And uh, we have that great joy uh, to make that choice. He doesn't force it on us, but he makes it available to us. And um, so what are we supposed to be doing? If these are the last days, uh, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm convinced that we're living in the last moments of the last days, uh, what is it I should be doing? Are there some things I should be involved in? The truth is, these things are things we should have been involved in all of our life. But when we look at the last days especially, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium. At Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Father, we come to you once again. We ask for the next few moments that you would help us to lay aside the cares of our life, the burdens that we walked into this place with, the things that may distract us, and cause us not to be able to see clearly and truly your word and the truth of it. We do pray that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction where needed, bring reproof and instruction where needed. I pray that you would allow our hearts to be strengthened and encouraged as we look to these times and we believe that we are in the last days. Father, may we be faithful to do the things that you've asked us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you several things that I believe Paul teaches here as he makes reference in verse number 1 of chapter 3 that we are living in the last days or that, that, that in the last days there will be certain things that characterize them. And one of the things that we need to make sure of if we're living in the last days is that we know how to recognize the last days. Uh, Paul said this, this know also. This know also. We're supposed to know that in the last days... 
there are going to be some things that will characterize it. Now, let's see the things that are going to characterize it for a few moments. And uh, we're not going to go into all of these. But uh, it says in verse 2, uh, that men shall be lovers of their own selves. They're going to be covetous. They're going to be boasters. They're going to be proud. They're going to be blasphemers. They're going to be disobedient to parents. They're going to be unthankful. They're going to be unholy. That verse in and of itself, in a nutshell, can describe uh, the, the society that we live in today, can't it? It's very clear uh, that there is certainly covetous. There certainly are boasters. The level of pride and arrogance in our, in our society today uh, is unparalleled in history. Uh, the blasphemers, those that uh, blaspheme God and curse God and, and uh, 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 are denying the Holy Spirit of God and His working in their hearts. Disobedient to parents, the, the rebellious mindset, the rebellious attitude, unthankfulness, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Notice this, verse number 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, I want you to notice some things. Paul says, this know also. So we're supposed to know this, that in the last days, these things are going to be the characteristics of them. And here's what Paul's, uh, uh, um, here's what Paul's conclusion of it was. These, when this, when this starts to happen, these are what Paul refers to here as perilous times. These are times that are critical that we understand what they are. That these are the last days. They're perilous times. They're fraught with danger, not only for the lost, but even for God's people. Lest we get, get apathetic towards them and we begin to not see them for what they are. And so we are to know these things. We're to look for these things. We're to see these things. And then he says this in verse number 5, that also in these last days, not only are there going to be a world philosophy of all of these things that were mentioned and listed, but in verse number 5 he says there's also going to be those that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And there are going to be those that rise up under the guise of religion that are going to look religious and they're going to sound religious, and they may even have great throngs that follow their, their, uh, their, their teachings and their doctrines. But the Bible says that they deny the power thereof. And Paul said this, from such, turn away. That we are not to have part of that group of people. Uh, and and this, this really kind of lays some groundwork for where we're going to go in our series here in a few weeks that there not be a, a, a ecumenical, that's a big word, that there not be a, a, an embracing between uh, those that are doctrinally sound with those that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Doctrine, and I'm going to say this as kind as I can, doctrine is not unkind, but it is divisive. It is something that makes a clear cut and a distinction. Either you believe pure doctrine... Or you do not believe pure doctrine. And Paul says, from such, turn away. There's to be a separation of it. Does it mean we hate them? No. Does it mean that we're unkind to them? No. But it does mean that I cannot fellowship with them. I cannot engage in the same things that they're engaged in with regards to religion. 
And it's very, very important that we understand this because we're living in a time where there is more and more call and pressure for God's people to all unite no matter what the doctrine, no matter what the belief, no matter what the teaching, and no matter whether there's power of God involved in it or not. And our Bible tells us that when this happens from such, we're to turn away from them. Unkind to them? No. No, not unkind. But I'm not going to endorse what they're doing. I'm not going to teach the same things. I'm not going to link arm in arms and sing kumbaya and say, this is all okay. We're all going the same direction, just taking a different path. That is nowhere in Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Watch this. If you think I'm narrow-minded, Jesus was more so. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty narrow. There are no other ways. And, and, and so I want us to understand this. Paul said when these things begin to happen, they are perilous times. And then he tells us there's some things that we ought to do. First of all, we need to know and recognize the times that we live in and make sure that we understand enough that we can discern enough to divide or to separate or what the Bible refers to here as turning away from them. That we not be all-inclusive in them. That's one of the things that we must do. It's, it's something that is an action. It's something that we're supposed to do. Because he says in verse number 6, for, these, uh, for this sort are they which creep into the houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Has there been more Bible teaching over the airwaves of our television sets and radios and yet an ignorance of the things of God in the days that we've seen? There has been so much teaching, so many people that have their ideas of religion. They're heaping to themselves teachers having itching ears that teach knowledge and they bombard us with knowledge all the time. But they are far removed from the truth and the knowledge of God. It talks about in verse number 8, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these resist the truth. Who? The men that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The ones that are, that are, that are uh, seeking for the knowledge, but not able to come into the knowledge of the truth. But they shall all proceed no further, for their follies shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was also. I want you to notice this, that the thing that we're supposed to do in the end times, we're going to, Paul gives us a list of them. Are you ready? Here we go. We're going to look at them real quick. Look with me in verses 10 and following. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which come unto me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Can I tell you that we need to endure the persecution that may come our way? He said, well, Greg, we've not had to suffer a whole lot yet. No, we haven't. But it's coming. There will come a day where we will have to make a choice. And it's going to be a very difficult choice. I hope and I pray and I'm thankful that we can look forward to the glorious appearing of our great God and that He will catch us all the way. And I would love it if that time would come before we have to make that choice and be persecuted. But if it doesn't, we need to make sure that we are ready to stand fast in the face of persecution. Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving being deceived. Now, the second thing we're supposed to do, verse number 14. 
but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known what? The teachings of Paul? No. The teachings of the religious leaders? No. But from a child thou hast known what? The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Paul says we are continuing, we are to continue in those things. In the last days when all of these perilous times come, <clears throat> when there is a rampant form of godliness but the denying of the power thereof, how do we respond? We continue in the things that we have learned from the Holy Scriptures. <clears throat> Can I tell you that the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, I, I want us to understand that we are to stand on the Word of God and not on the, not on the principles or the morals of mankind. We're not to define ourselves by our distance from the world, but by our stand on the Word of God. This book does not change. It does not move. Its truth is not subjective. Its truth is not open for interpretation. I, I'm all for people discussing and talking about Scripture, but it always is a warning to me and a red flag to me when a teacher of Scripture gets up in a, in a classroom setting and says, what does this passage mean to you? By doing that, we're saying it has multiple meanings. It does not. The truth is the truth. Period. Applications may differ, but the truth does not change. And I want us to understand this and be very clear on this. That if you have two different people that say, I believe this is what the Bible teaches, and another one says, this is what that passage teaches, teaches let me tell you something. The truth is still there regardless of the differing of opinions on it. It does not change. One or the other, or sometimes even both, are not understanding the truth. That's why it is so important for God's people to come to the Word of God in a spirit of meekness, praying to the Holy Spirit to guide and to illuminate His truth in our hearts, that we read this book and what the Bible refers to as rightly dividing the Word of truth. God did not make His Word difficult to understand. We just, somebody said this one time, our Bible doesn't need to be rewritten. It needs to be reread. It doesn't need to be retranslated. We've got more translations now out there than you can shake a stick at. It just needs to be reread so that we can know and understand the truth, so that we can continue in the things which we have learned. That's what Paul says we're to be. He speaks of how important Scripture is. In verse number 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Then he goes on into chapter number 4, and here's some other things. All right? We're to be steadfast during persecution. We're to uh, continue in the things which we have learned from the Holy Scriptures. And then he says this, I charge thee with all of this in mind, he says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Here they are. Ready? Preach the Word. What are you doing in the last days? You go everywhere you can telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. You take this book and you open its pages and you begin to share it with other people. You begin to tell the lost about it. 
You, te- you find Christians that perhaps have, have gotten away from the Lord and, and don't, don't uh, love the Lord the way they should. They don't have the fervency. They don't have the joy of the Christian life. They're, they're not pursuing after a passion of God. And, and we're to take the Word of God and we're to edify that Christian and we're to draw them back to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to walk in it. We're to continue in the things that we've learned. And we are to preach the Word. And by the way, that is not written just for pastors. Every single one of us have an obligation to preach the Word of God. You may not have a pulpit, but all of us proclaim it. The Bible teaches that we're to lift up our voice like a trumpet. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's amazing to me. There was a, a, a song written years ago, and I don't remember who wrote it, and I can't even remember the tune of the song, but I remember the title of it. But it talks about secret service Christians. Christians that are Christians and you don't even know it. Can I tell you this? It's time and high time for God's people to rise up. We're in the last days. And in the last days, we are to be steadfast in persecution. We're to continue in the things that we know from Scripture. And then we're to go and preach the Word. Notice he says this. We are to be instant, in season, out of season. We are to be ready with the Word of God. We're to be at a moment's notice ready. It, back during the war for independence, and I, I used to call it the Revolutionary War. A lot of people call it that. My sister is a history teacher, and she said it was not a revolution. <laughs> it was the war for independence. So she corrected me on that. But back in the war for independence, there were a group of men that were set aside, and they were given the title Minute Men. And the reason they were called Minute Men was at a moment's notice when the enemy came, the warning sounded within one minute they could be on the lines ready to fight. Can I tell you this, that it is time and high time for there to be some spiritual minute men among God's people. That we have so saturated ourselves with the Word of God, that we have studied the Word of God to show ourselves approved and workmen that need not to be ashamed. That we are so wrapped up in God and that we are so focused on, on living the Christian life that we get out here and everywhere we go, we just preach the gospel. And when there's opportunity, it doesn't take hardly any men. Any time for us to pull that trigger and say, boy, I want to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how many times opportunities come and pass right by us? And come and pass right by us. And we keep our mouths silent. And Paul said, listen, there's going to come some times that are going to be really perilous. They're going to be in the last days. There's going to be a lot of, lot of stuff going on. There's going to be even spiritual leaders that have a form of godliness. They're going to be teaching all the time and not able to come to the knowledge of truth. Paul said, here's what you do. You remain steadfast in persecution. You continue in the things that you've learned from Scriptures. You preach the Word. You're instant in season, out of season. Notice this. We're to reprove we're to reprove, by the way, not out of our fleshly judgment, but out of a holy judgment based on God's Word. The Bible says that if a brother be overtaken in a, in a fault, ye which are spiritual, people that are grounded in God's Word, are to restore such a one. And then he says this, in the spirit of meekness. In the spirit of meekness. 
Look with me, if you will, in verse number uh, 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, exhort. We're going to come back to those other two words here in just a minute. But I want you to see this. With all what? With what? Long-suffering. You ever thought about that word? That means that I may reprove somebody or somebody may reprove me. And if it doesn't take the first time, you give up on them. Is that what it means? If they didn't listen to you the first time, you get mad at them. Is that what it means? If they didn't listen the first time, what does it mean? We come to them again and again and again and again and again and again. You say, Brother Greg, how many times do I come to them? Until God calls us home or until that person is reproved or rebuked. How do we know this? Because our God is long-suffering. And we fail Him. How many times do we fail Him? Over and over and over and over and over. Does He reprove us? Oh, absolutely. Does He rebuke us? Absolutely. How many times? Over and over and over again. He doesn't give up on us, does He? Because he is long-suffering. In the last days, we're to preach the word. We're to be instant in season, out of season. We're to reprove. Notice this. We're to rebuke. There's some times that we've got to be forceful. There's some times that when somebody gets up and denies the power of God, when somebody gets up and with vileness uh, blasphemes our Savior, there are times that we've got to stand up and boldly rebuke them. Not out of arrogance but out of correction from God's Word. There's not a lot of teaching on rebuking anymore. But the Bible teaches that it is profitable to us. Look with me in verse number 16, chapter 3. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction and for instruction in righteousness. We don't like reproof. I don't like it. I don't like correction. In fact, some people will say, well, I just don't think anybody's got a right to talk to me about what I'm doing wrong. Actually, we're told in Scripture that if a brother's overtaken in a fault, we're to go to them. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we're to show Scripture to people. We're to preach the Word to them. Why? Because the Scripture will reprove and rebuke. And we are to exhort the idea of exhorting is something more than just a casual telling of something or persuading or asking. But the idea of exhortation is with strong argument, with strong intensity, that there be an exhorting. An exhorting of what? The principles of God's Word. We're living in perilous times where our society is following after the things that we read about in the first part of chapter number 3. We're living in times that even religious people have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Paul calls them perilous times. And we find as we get to verse number 4 that we are supposed to preach the Word. We're supposed to be instant in season and out of season. We are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort 
with all long suffering. Notice he says this <laughs> and doctrine. Not man's opinion, not the pastor's idea of what would be a good thing. But what does God's word say? We're living in a time where we read the Bible and it enters our minds, it goes in through our eyes, but somehow it just never seems to make it to the heart. We're living in the times where we are not tolerant of pure doctrine. Notice he says this in verse number 3, For there will come a time when, in the last days, for there will come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, Make full proof of thy ministry. This is what we're supposed to be doing in the last days. During the perilous times. We'll know they're here by the characteristics of them. And when that happens, we need to be steadfast in persecution. We need to continue in the things which we have learned. We need to preach the Word. We need to be instant in season, out of season. We need to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. This is our responsibility. The time is short. The day is at hand. Can I tell you this? You say, Brother Greg, you, know, you say the time is short. God may not come until after my life is already over. And that's true. But I can still tell you that time is short. Because the Bible says, what is life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. Somebody wrote a little poem years ago that said, Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. The Bible teaches that there will come a time where every one of us will stand before holy God. And He's going to judge some things. If we're unsaved, He's going to judge our sin. I'm thankful that if we're saved, He does not judge our sin for the purpose of eternal destination. But He does judge our works. He does judge what we are supposed to be doing that we are not. And the things that we're not supposed to be doing that we should. I want to encourage you in these last days to find what does the Bible say that we are to be doing. And then let's do them. Let's do them. Do you know what would happen to Jefferson County if a handful of God's people would just simply obey the things that God has told us to do in the last days? Do you think God's power might might move in an unusual way. Do you think maybe some souls would come to know Christ? Well, I sure, I sure would like to think so. Why don't we give Him a try? Why don't we just... I, I know this isn't a good 
good thing to say probably at the end of a message. But I was reminded of the, uh, of the uh, election last time in, in 2016. And one of the statements that went out during one of the campaigns was, what have you got to lose? <laughs> Can I tell you this? We've tried it man's way for far too long. Let's do it God's way. I don't have to stand up here and say, try it. What have you got to lose? I get to stand up here and say, it's God's instruction. We know it'll work. Big difference. So let's do it God's way, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the instruction of your word. Lord, how precious it is. Lord, how thankful and grateful we are to have it in our lives. May we never take advantage of the fact. May we never get used or accustomed to the fact that we hold this book in our hands. To become apathetic, to disregard it, to let it sit on our tables and our houses and gather dust and us to go on living our lives the best that we know how, but not following after what you've asked us to do. Lord, especially as we see these days approaching that we consider to be the last days. Lord, may we understand the signs of the times, the characteristics of the day. May we understand and know them for what they are. And then, Lord, may we act according to what you have instructed us to do. Lord, may we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.